We leave Saul for a bit. We had a great conversion story last two Sundays about Saul. And we pick up with Peter. Now, Peter is in the midst of evangelizing the coastal cities. And he's, he's in this area on the Mediterranean. You see where Jerusalem is over here. And he's on the, he's on the coastal side of, of Israel. And he is traveling around. And he ends up in a city called Luda, which is below Joppa. Okay, here's where he's ministering. Samaria, Jerusalem. It looks like Lydda, but it's actually pronounced Luda and Joppa. If you fly to Israel today, this is where you land, about right here, near Tel Aviv, of course. So he travels up and he ends up in Luda. This is about, what, about 10 miles from Joppa. We'll talk about that in a second. About 25 miles from Jerusalem. And in Peter's ministry, so important, there's two miracles that take place in the end of chapter 9. We're not going, you know, we were supposed to study that last week. We didn't have time. But there you have the healing of Aeneas, a man who had been paralyzed for eight years. So you have his healing in Luda. And then they send people for Peter. And they, they said, we want you to come from here about 10 miles up to Joppa. There in Joppa, we have a woman named Tabitha, her Greek name was Dorcas, and she was loved by everybody and was a helper in the ministry, and she died. And so they sent for Peter, Peter comes up, he gets everybody out of the room, it's the exact opposite of the television faith healing we see today, but he gets everybody out of the room because he, he doesn't want any glory, he doesn't want this uh, broadcast for himself or anything, but he prays and she's healed. In both cases... You have, let me just read this it, it, at the bottom of verse 42, the end of chapter 9. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So, we're going to have a major transition in chapter 10. This is a, this is a big deal in the history of the church, because, uh, first of all, it just starts out by where he's staying. Now, let me ask you a question. He's staying in the house of Simon the Tanner. If you go, this is a picture that uh, Sally took when we were there in Joppa, and it says the house of Simon the Tanner. Now, I, I don't know if it really is the house of Simon the Tanner, but it was something like this. This is in Joppa, and it looked like this. I sent you a note earlier this week. I know, I sent a lot of notes. Keith has reminded me several times. Um, <laughs> this is the 3,000th note that uh, you have sent. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. He's staying in the house. That's significant that he's staying in the house of Simon the Tanner. Why? Why is that significant that he's staying in the house of Simon the Tanner? Why was it significant for a Jew to be staying in the house of Simon the Tanner? What would be your guess? What's that? Cows. That's a good one, Lord. It's good to see you, Lord. I, I like you're you're in the right head in the right direction. Cows. There, there's a there's there's alive cows and there's dead cows. And what was the problem then of staying in Simon the Tanner's house? Yeah, dead cows. <laughs> you can't be a Tanner without touching dead cows. 
or dead whatever, dead animals. Leviticus chapter 11 says that you every time you, that a Jew touched a, uh, uh, a, a dead animal carcass, that they were ceremonially unclean. So they had to wash. So this guy, Simon, the tanner, he's, he's unclean all the time. His occupation is an unclean occupation. And now you've got Peter that raises a Jew staying in his house. It's a good start to chapter 10. It is, because in chapter 10, now let's think about it. Let's look, where are we at? The church is about five to six years old. It's been, it, it's booming throughout Judea. It's, it's just exploding in Jerusalem, and then it's spreading. You remember that two weeks ago, we had Philip, when and Dennis taught about Philip being in, in uh, Samaria and moving through that area, and now that's starting to be evangelized. And, and Peter has endorsed that, and his fellow believers have accepted the Samaritans, who they considered half-breeds, and religiously and ceremoniously unclean. <laughs> and so now they're coming into the church. This is all building up. So this becomes a high point in the church's ministry. Because later on, Peter's going to use this uh, experience in Acts chapter 15 to tell the church, look, I had this experience whereby I was... Give, I, I had a vision, and then I acted on that vision, and Gentiles came to Christ. That's what this is all about. This is about moving the gospel. You remember in chapter 1, he said, Luke recorded where Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. This is how the church began to expand. But it's a big deal for all of these Jewish uh, disciples who've been taught all their life to be separate from the Gentiles to start moving forward and reaching them with the gospel. So that's what this story is all about. I think it helps sometimes. This is another discussion I have with my wife, and she has encouraged me to do this, and so she helps me with this. I think sometimes it's good to see a depiction of that. So I'm gonna, we're going to run a video and let you see what happens in chapter 10. I'm sorry? I just have a question. Yes, please. Since God shows no favoritism yet, yes. Jews are his chosen people. Yes. I just... Oh, what, what is the... How does that work? How does, that's a good question. Yeah, and that's one of my points today. That's one of the points today about God shows no partiality. Uh, God what you, you have to stop and ask yourself, when you said God chose them, what did God choose them to do? Did he choose them to salvation only? Did he choose them to be his only children? Did he choose them? Because we think, oh, man, he's the chosen one. That means he's the only one. Nobody else gets it. Well, they were chosen, but they were chosen. Uh, Isaiah tells us this pretty clearly. They were chosen to be a light to the Gentiles. So they were chosen to be, as God said, a peculiar people, a different people, a separated people with a purpose of spreading the, the joy of the Lord throughout to be a light, it says, 
the rest of the world. So yes, they were a chosen people, and there's no favoritism there. There's grace there. But he chose them and said, it's just like why did God choose Susan to be saved? Because we'll see this in a moment. He sought her first. She responded to that. And so God said, I choose you, and I've chosen you to go and do what? Bear fruit. He chose them for a purpose, not to exclude others, but to, in, to, to give them a purpose, and their purpose is to spread the good news. Yes? And it also says that in like the end times that he will, give, he will soften their hearts, and mm -hmm. all of the Jews will right. come back to right. him. Right, right. What about the Gentiles? Are we, what, is he going to soften their hearts? And let them what about the what? The, the Gentiles. Well, the, see, that's a, that's a very particular period of time. It's a good question. That's, that's, that's the period of the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. And all of this, you see, Jews today have the same opportunity that you and I do to come to Christ. They have that opportunity. But as a nation, they will go through, those who don't know Christ will go through a period of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, we believe to be a seven-year period. At that time, it will be a very difficult time for the Jews, but it will be a time for them to have the opportunity to turn to Christ when he comes back and, and returns and shows that he is the Messiah that they killed. And so there's a, there's a lot to it, but let me just simply say that the Gentiles and the Jews all have the same opportunity to come to Christ. And there will be Gentiles that will be saved during the tribulation. Uh, the Bible's pretty clear about that. There are Jews that will be saved during the tribulation. But Jesus gives us very clear uh, advice in Scripture that today is the day of salvation and to the avoid the day of wrath that's coming. So I, I guess it's a long answer to a short question. And it could be much longer but basically, they're chosen, for a, they're chosen for a purpose, and that purpose, as God's children, is to be a light to the rest of the world. Mike? In the end times, it's important to remember that all the believers are they're gone from the rest. Right. So God softens their hearts, and that's where the 144,000 that are gifted with evangelism, and they are Jews that actually go and evangelize right. the world from that point and go into the Gentiles. That's right. It's the same concept <coughs> That's right. 12,000 from every tribe. From the 12 tribes, that's 144,000 are witnesses. So that's where he chose his evangelists to go during those end times to, to speak to the Gentiles and the other Jews about what, you know, what right. truth was. Like the tribulation, is that only for the people that are still alive on the earth? Or people are getting a second chance that have been hmm. died? Yeah. Let me just give you a quick, here's, right. That's for the ones who are left. The rapture of the church takes place and all believers are taken. All right? So be, be ready. Could be today. All believers are taken. And uh, so if you're not a believer, be ready. Um, come to Christ today. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the appointed time, the Bible tells us. All right? And I'm happy to talk to you even more about it. Okay? That's all right. We're glad to do that. It also means I don't shorten my lesson 10 seconds. <laughs> they all know that. So... Uh, no, I'm just kidding. All right, good, good questions. Good questions. I've thought a lot about that question about Israel being cho God's chosen people. That's a good question. All right, let's see the video. This describes the story, all right? Let's, just, let's, 
let somebody act out the story, and it's scripturally accurate, so I won't, that's why we're using it. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, all right. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial. An angel uh, appears to him and says, Now, send men to Joppa to bring right. back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, 
I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying. At this hour, at three in the afternoon, suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism? That John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them. <laughs> okay, that's the whole chapter. Uh, and I think it's regardless of the fact that Peter may not, the actors playing Peter may not really, I think it's Mr. Barbara Streisand, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this, does, this doesn't go as Peter, but it's very accurate. So you see the scene of what happened. Now, think about this. The Jews have two big problems, big concerns that they're, that they're fighting, the Jewish believers. And here they are. Number one, the Gentiles have to become Jews in order to become Christians. What do you mean by that? The proselyting process that 
Gentiles had to go through to become Jews. They had to be circumcised. They had to refuse to eat certain foods and certain ceremonies they had to follow in order to convert uh, to Judaism. And so their concern was, did they have to become Jews by the Gentiles? They had to be proselytized into their process as a Jew and then before, when they became Christians in order to become Christians. That's the first problem. Second one was fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. Fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. They, they, could they eat together? Could they fellowship together? Could they be friends together? Because in the Old Testament law, you read very clearly that they, weren't not, they were not supposed to do certain things together with Gentiles, right? So they had these two issues they had to deal with. So in Acts chapter 10, and all the way through chapter 11, verse 18, you have the longest narrative of any story in the book of Acts. And so you have, the way, way to remember it and picture it like this is there's seven scenes. First scene is the vision of Cornelius. Second scene is the, the vision of Peter. The third scene is Peter goes to Cornelius' house. The fourth scene is that they share, Peter and Cornelius share those visions. Uh, the next scene is Peter preaches. He has his sermon to the household of Cornelius. Then number six, the Holy Spirit comes on the Gentiles and maybe not quite the way it was depicted in the movie. I don't think they immediately became Pentecostals, but they, the Holy Spirit does come on the Gentiles. And number seven, the final scene in Jerusalem, which we won't study until next week, is when Peter defends all of this conduct and all agree on a plan to reach the Gentiles. Okay? Now, in chapter 11, you've seen all what happens. Now let me talk about two great truths that come of that. Two great truths. Number one, prejudice. God deals with prejudice in chapter 10. And before you jump and say, oh man, I'm glad he's talking about that. That doesn't bother me at all. It bothered Peter, didn't it? And Peter was sort of like the rock at uh, his confession was he's built the church, right? So maybe it does. Partiality is number two. Prejudice and partiality. And we're going to talk about even what Heather said, I asked about. It's not just important church history moment. There are some, some life-changing, world-changing truths that are taught in this chapter. So for all of the differences on the first point, for all the differences that we have as human beings, one thing we all have in common, and that is prejudice. We all have it in common. No, well, not me. Not me. I, you know, I've, I'm beyond that. Okay. Well, we'll talk about our, my prejudice against lying in just a moment. Seriously, the most common, the most common prejudice is what? Racial. Racial prejudice. I think all of us say, yeah, that's the most common prejudice, where there is prejudice because of the color of the skin, because of nationality, because of uh, accent of someone, because of culture of someone, but that's the most common one that we're familiar with. I, I, I grew up around, I believe, some, uh, not in my family, but around those in this part of the country that had significant issues with racial, racial prejudices. I never really saw it in, in, in such clarity as when I uh, went to work 
in uh, New York when I went to work for, for Mobile Oil in New York City and uh, get up from and live, we lived in New Jersey and I'd get on the bus and take it to the Port Authority and take the subway to 150 East 42nd Street between Lexington and 3rd across the street from uh, Grand Central Station and go to my office and, and man, I had no idea what I was doing. Now, what am I doing in this place? And the person that was there to train me it, it turned out to be a, a good friend of ours. She was a sweet lady, but she taught me what real racial prejudice was almost immediately. We were talking one day, and, and, and we were both in We shared an office at the beginning. We were sitting in this office and talking, and she was trying to teach me how to send telexes, cables to... Some of you don't even know what a telex is, do you? Yeah. I guess most of the people in here do know what telexes are, right? Yeah, yeah. Some of you remember when that was invented. No, 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 not really. So we were sitting there in the office, and this guy comes in. I'll never forget it. His name was Masood Alam. Just a sweet, tender-hearted guy, Pakistani. And he came in and asked us a couple of questions, and we made, you know, small talk. He left. And Bren, this lady that I just had so much love for, she just a seemed to be a sweet lady. She's wild as a March hare, but she was a sweet lady. She turned to me and she cursed that man, turned the air blue, that dirty piece of so-and-so blockety pocket. And I go, whoa, what are you talking about? And she said, I was abused by a Pakistani when I was 17, or 18 years old in my first year of college. And I hate all Pakistanis. I hate them. All of them are garbage. And I kept my mouth shut the rest of the day on the subject. But I walked away and I said, now I see what true prejudice can do. The most, uh, the other ones that I thought of, prejudice, political affiliation. Oh, he's, she's this or that. And so we immediately form opinions and prejudice concerning them. Is that easy to do today or what? <laughs> Economic status, prejudice about marital status, prejudice about religious background, prejudice about the style of clothes that people wear. Let me tell you kind of prejudice. I mean, it gets into little things. That's why I want you to pray search me as we were encouraged to do last Sunday. When that uh, young preacher, not our young preacher, but you're standing there, and this has happened to me on a couple of occasions, that young preacher gets up to start to preach, and he lifts his arm, and all of a sudden an old prejudice comes out in me. Can you guess what that prejudice is? Anybody? A tattoo. That's, she said, what's silly? I, I sort of grew up that, you know, if you had tattoos, you know, you were either, you know, you got that when you were drunk in the service or you're in a gang. <laughs> hey, it's true. I, I, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just. Okay, we're, we want to we punch people at the correct times to, you know, to laugh. This is true. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, this, I, I, that's just, it, I thought about this when I was 
writing this message up, and I said, you know what, I, I, that was a prejudice of mine, and I had to come and say, I, that's silly. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You know, when I learned, though, that it, that it wasn't, it should not be a prejudice of mine to automatically assume that a certain person is a certain way because they have a tattoo? Well, one of my grown daughters came in with a tattoo. <laughs> And I didn't even know it. And we're sitting there on the beach, and I look over at her ankle. And I said, oh, my soul, I guess uh, not everybody's a gang member, and not everybody is a... <laughs> you know, we laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's a biker. Yeah. She... <laughs> Just thinking we had a boy. Um, but you know what? And we laugh about it, and, it's, and we should laugh about it, because it's, uh, it's, it's almost comical how we form prejudices. But yet, it, it's, it's a serious blight on Christians, because the other, the people that we're trying to reach Many times we, we have to get over a prejudice, and God is saying, Peter, before I can use you, you've got to get rid of this prejudice. I've got to remove it from your heart and the church in Jerusalem. This prejudice has to be removed. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this as I have. I've been in church, in churches where there's prejudice where there's prejudice racially, where there's prejudice against other churches, where there's prejudice against people who attend the same denomination of church but a different stripe. How ludicrous for us as Christians to have this kind of prejudice. Yes, sir. We used to go to a small Baptist church in, in Abilene, and we, uh, one morning we had, some, uh, we had a, a black couple that was in our Sunday school class and we had a couple visiting that came from Oklahoma, and they come in there and sit down, and we had, our regular teacher wasn't there, the other the young man that was teaching our class that day. This couple come, come in there and sat down and pointed at those, that black couple and said, you mean you let them go to church with you? <laughs> so prejudice can reach deep. I, I, and I have a story that's even worse than that, uh, Don, that I, I can't even tell because I'm embarrassed to say of how it must look to those who are unsaved that see that type of prejudice in Christians. So what do we do about that? We pray for the Lord to remove that attitude by saying, search me, Lord, do I have a prejudice? I, I found it. I found I had to pray this weekend at a certain event because I was automatically judging someone that approached me just because of a difference, a significant difference in our life and lifestyles. And I found that, I said, man, I've got to be showing the love of Jesus, not listening to my prejudiced black heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah says. So in the first scene, we're introduced to Cornelius, and he's a, he's a NCO. 
He's a non-commissioned officer. That's basically what he was, over 100 soldiers of the Italian cohort, which meant that they didn't have any conscripts from other nationalities there. They were all Romans. And he was, he's something. He, he, he was a devout, God-fearing, praying, giving man. He was better than a lot of Christians are. <laughs> and so he has this vision. The vision is, go get Peter. But boy, this teaches a lot just in this one vision. This trance, the word, and it's, it's interesting, the word trance there is the word uh, ex, ecstasis, which we get our word ecstasy from. It, it's a mind, uh, something that alters the state of mind. And I guess when he saw an angel, that would alter my state of mind, right? But the message that I got out of this, now I didn't put this on your sheet, but man, this is, this is worded to write down, if I do say so myself, which I'm saying so myself. The seeking Savior will find the seeking sinner. There's a lot of truth in that. Or, wherever there is a searching heart, God responds. And we wonder about how people, you know, how do people hear the gospel that are in, you know, Timbuktu, that, what happens? They respond to God's call. God, it's not a chicken or egg thing. God always speaks first through different ways, through different methods, speaks and the person responds as Cornelius is responding, then God, what does he do? He sends them the gospel. So, the seeking Savior will find the seeking sinner, or wherever there is a searching heart, God responds. Are we already at that? I didn't tell you about that. This is Caesarea today. Uh, Caesarea is on the coast, beautiful city. Herod built it. He really built it in spite of the Jews. He didn't like the Jews very much. So he built it, built a temple to Caesar. He uh, built all these monuments to Caesar. The Jews hated it. The Gentiles loved it. And they congregated here. This was the, the uh, Roman capital. So this is where they all hung out. So this is Caesarea today. Beautiful place. It's where we, when you go on the Holy Land trip, a lot of times you start in Caesarea because it's right by the, right by the airport. Warren Wiersbe said, this is a great quote. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. This is why it's essential that we as God's children obey His will and share His word. You never know when your witness for Christ is exactly what somebody has been waiting and praying for. I'll give you a perfect example. Last Sunday night, you know this new Next Step class? Uh, it used to be, as of January, it was the new members uh, workshop. So anybody who wants to be a member, they come and you sit. Sally and I have been a host there for two or three years. I don't know. And, and some of you have been in that. I know I've seen some of you here that have been in those. There we go. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we saw you and you weren't coming to our class. And then I said, you better come. And then about a year later, you did. <laughs> Eddie and Beth were in it. You guys were in it. We'd already locked you in, though. Joy was in it. We, we, Dan and Jeanette were in it. And uh, yes, and Bowman's were in it. And oh, no, no, no. Okay, I, I don't know why I'm going to all that. But it was for people who have already moved really far. They're ready to go. They've been saved, been baptized, and they want to join the church. So they come, they ask you a bunch of questions, and you talk to them and say, You ought to do this, you ought to do this, and you ought to join our life group. Amen? So we do all of that. 
and we, we do have a purpose for going. So now they've changed it. Now it's called the Next Step class. Anybody that wants to come and get more information, join the church and do whatever, and Liz was there, so she can testify to this. We had a great time, didn't we? We had a good time. And I found out some things about Liz. I'll tell you some other time. It's really good stuff. No. So, uh, Liz, this time we go, any, I mean, it's packed. We had 150 people there. So we're host. Normally we have a couple, two. We had seven people assigned to us. So this is, I said, this is going to be interesting, how we're going to go around and talk to people and find out, you know, because there's some there that, have, man, they've gone all, they're like Liz, and they're like, Janice was there with the Janice Merlin. So they were assigned to us. So they're there. They're just there ready to join. They've been saved. They love the Lord. Yeah, they're ready to join. What do you have to do? Like when uh, the Goldenbergs were there. They'd already been, they knew all this stuff, right? So all I do is say, blah, blah, blah. Can you imagine coming to that thing and having five other people that you don't know why they're there? They could just be coming just to see what's going on. That's what ended up happening. We had five other people there. We had a man, wife, grown son, and then a husband and wife. So we talked all the business. I said, tell me your faith story. So I started with Janice, thank goodness. And Janice gave a great story of how she was saved. Then I took to Liz. Liz gave a great story of how she was saved. Then we go to the others. Not so great stories because they didn't have a story. But by the end of that time, we'd prayed with three of them, and now they have a story. And they accepted Christ as their Savior. You know why? Because God had already prepared it. And we just had to be ready, because it's exactly what somebody's been waiting for. Cornelius has been praying. He said, this is what I need. Send somebody. God said, okay. And in the, mid and in the middle of all this, I'm going to teach Peter a lesson. So Peter has a vision in verse 9 through 22. And, you know, that vision, the sheet comes down three times. Sheet comes down, lots of animals in it. He says, get up and eat it. And you go, oh, why? Because the Old Testament, certain foods had, been, had served its ceremonial and educational purpose and was no longer needed, this ban on certain foods. Even Jesus said... Even Jesus said in his ministry, he said uh, he declared all food clean, right? So all these things are happening. You say, I don't understand. Well, to be fair, I'll give you a perfect illustration. To be fair to what Peter was going through, it would be exactly the same if I were to go to my dad, if he were still alive, go to my dad and live for Jesus all his life, had never tasted alcohol in his 85 years, never tasted alcohol. If I come up to him one day and said, hey, Dad, have a beer. He would have gone, ah, ah. That's, that's the way he felt, you know. My mother the same way. My mother would have just, she just whacked me, I think. But that's, that's the situation that Peter's going through. And he gets up, he said, what am I going to do about it? And he said, quickly, the application on that is principle one about prejudice. The root of prejudice is pride. Why is that? The, why is the root of prejudice pride? Because pride, this, it's all, prejudice is all built on, and pride, all, it all comes from pride because it's all built on comparison. It's all built on comparison. You think you're better. You think you're better. 
My dad is better than your dad. My dad can throw the ball harder than your dad can throw the ball. That's what we're taught when we're little kids, right? We're going sit around the block and say, my dad can throw a baseball twice as fast as your father can throw a baseball. And in my case, it was true most of the time. But we, we compare ourselves with one another. And when we do that, they say, well, that, that culture, man, they don't even bathe like we do. Uh-oh. No, he's not teaching anymore. He's meddling. Well, that's where prejudice comes in. We're comparing others. Comparing. It comes from pride. Principle two, the rationalization for prejudice is tradition. It's always been that way. Number three, the rehabilitation from prejudice is painful. Ergo, the message last week, search me. You must face things you may not want to face, and the hardest thing to do at that point is to change. All right, last thing, and I'll let you go. God is not partial. That's the last piece. God is not partial in answer to your question, right? No. God had you to ask that question because somebody needs to hear that, right? So God is not partial. Now I can expand on it briefly. <laughs> Peter's message can be divided into two parts. Number one, God is the God of all nations. Number two, Jesus Christ offers salvation to all people. You see, there's a difference between Jesus saying, you're my chosen people, and Jesus saying, I offer salvation to all. Big difference, right? I think that's what really answers the question that you ask. God didn't say, Jews, you're my chosen people. You're the only ones that are going to heaven. No, he said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to choose you so that you can help other people see the light. And, of course, many of them rejected it. The slogan of the Reformation is what we get here. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I don't have time to read the rest. Read, read the following, the, the, the last few verses, and you can see the end of his message. What it said in verse 47, I'll just read the last two verses. Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So they ordered they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. That's the result. That's the result. So when people respond to God, he responds to them. To be used of God to reach people, we must ask God to help us overcome our prejudice. Number three, there is no favoritism with God. Even he says that in his message. And number four, salvation is for all. Father, thank you for this uh, passage of scripture today, teaching us, teach us more about it. There's, there's so much here for us to learn. But I think the main thing that I... I I've learned this week is, is that I do have prejudice and it hurts my testimony at times and it hurts my spirit at times. I also learned that there's, thank goodness, there's no partiality with you. That you love us all, that you care for us all, that you died for us all. Thank you for this great message in the book of Acts today, in Jesus' name. Amen.